Welcome to another Virial USA podcast. This is Alan, and I'm joined by Zach and Robin. Good afternoon or evening, depending on where you are, gentlemen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. <laughs> all those things. <laughs> good, good day to all of you. There you go. And <laughs> and uh, we're go- this is, is sort of part two of our earlier podcast where, where um, Zach and I talked about statistics and what what that says about our performance and and what we're doing sort of our style of play and there's a, also an article published on the website um, that deals in more detail with some of that and this all started out with a question of with a issue dealing with formations and and what type of what type of um, formation works best for us and of course that gets into personnel so we thought we would talk I thought we would talk about that. We had um several people in the um on the website that uh that talked about this too. Um so in general we've the, the, to set the the background for people Virial historically has played in a in a 442 and I would say a very narrow 442 um under Pellegrini and then Garrido it went to being more of, an, of a counter-attacking 4-4-2 under Marcelino. Um, I guess Fran Escriba did some different things than, than 4-4-2 occasionally, but I don't think anybody was enamored of his style of play and, and wants to, to draw on that. But, but what have we seen from Kaleha? What, what, what's, what's different about this team compared to those four most straight four four two Marcelino teams. Somebody want to talk about what strikes them? Um, I think for me, because I sort of my real Villarreal years came in during the Marcelino years, and just before that, Pellegrini was sort of slightly more behind my time. And I hate to admit that because I always did admire Villarreal before then, but I couldn't call myself a, a true true fan at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the main difference. So I'm going to just draw comparisons between Marcelino and. And okay, like I said, we're not going to really mention Franz Grieber. For me, Franz Grieber was just basically no one goes over the halfway line. Um, so that was all, that was all he did. Um, but in terms of sort of, I think Tavir Tekeka, he, he's willing to try different systems. I think he's, we've seen so many different formations. A lot of people can argue that that was about him changing his mind all the time. I think he was just trying to find the perfect formation. He was trying to work out. He was trying to do it based on who was actually they were playing rather than trying to find a secure one. Marcelino was incredibly stubborn about his 4-4-2 formation. And to be fair to him, that, that really did do us a lot of favours and it was a really good thing. Like all the players knew exactly where they were playing. Everyone knew exactly what they needed to improve on. We saw like massive improvements to Mario, as we mentioned quite a few times, like in terms of his fitness. Ruben Canny as well. I know he fell out with Kayaka in the end, but his he suddenly came back into form because he got that that fitness. So Marcelino was very much driving behind that. And I think that sums up his his formation. For me, Kayeka, his willingness to change from 4-4-2 to 4-4-3 during games. I like this style. I like this idea that obviously with the 4-4-2, you start off and it's more defensive and then you're willing to change to 4-4-3 to sort of attack it. And I think some teams probably struggle to, struggle to match that really. Um, I think it, it's not always readable. It's probably a bit more predictable now. So I imagine at this point, he probably will start changing to one strict formation and living at that, especially since we've got like new players that can fit into that system better. Um, I don't know, if, Zach, if you've also got an opinion on that. Um, 
it seems to me like the formation itself matters less than what he's trying to accomplish. Because I think he's trying to accomplish uh, the same thing, whether he's running a 4-3-3 or whether he's running a uh, 4-4-2. In fact, that one article you sent me, uh, Alan, interpreted his formation against Levante as a 4-1-4-1, which I, I disagree with, but... I think the point being is that um, how we interpret the formation depends a lot on which exact collection of players we have out there because Moreno can do a little bit of everything, and then you've got other guys that like are going to sit out a little more wide just naturally because of what they are. And I think he's still trying to do some of the same kinds of things where he's trying to turn the other team over in the midfield and run with it, um, regardless of what formation it is. And those principles, I think, are more important to Kaleha than than the actual alignment of players on the pitch. Right, I, and I think that was I think I mentioned after the Levante match. I don't even think four one four one was was one of the choices, but um, you would see the same match we were described as playing a four three three, a uh, four what four one three two and, and a four you know and a four four two i mean different different people interpreted it different ways, and I think it is in part due to the fact that we um do tend to have a lot of overlaps and um and we have we have midfielders who sort of drift from side to side um is part of it, but also just that we are depending on whether we're predominantly attacking or defending, we'll, we'll play a different, a little different style. Um, I think the real distinction, which again, people have trouble with and is that whether we, if we call it a four, four, two, Gerard as one of those two tends to drop back more than Paco or whoever he's playing with. So, you know, it's, it really is, it's more, as you say, a style of play than a formation, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. It's 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 frustrating to see that though when when Gerard comes back on in that four four two because he should be up there up top, right? And he's great at coming back. And the four three three it really works, but the four four two he's not a playmaker so much, you know. He's very good at sort of dropping back again, but then I suppose he swaps with Cazola going going back when he does that. Um, I'm not really too sure, but I mean. Like I said, there, there are very interesting informs. I, I agree with you actually. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on Alan's side of the thing with the with the Levante game. I thought that that was four one four, which is a very very peculiar formation to me. Um, it's a very strange one. Um, but yeah, it's it's just interesting. I think we have to kind of what would be interesting, I think, to to talk about is: Do you think that we've changed in the recent games since Paco's joined us? Do you think we've actually um, we've worked a formation around Paco? Or has that not made any difference at all? I, I think, and, and I, this is a terrible thing to say because I don't think it's Paco's fault. I think we've regressed offensively since he showed up because I think it's kind of, I know we've been shooting the ball less. Um, and I, I think that a, a lot of what's happening is Paco's not getting involved in other aspects of the game when he's not getting service. And I think overall it's hurt our offense so far. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think against Levante, I definitely felt, and I think this is probably why the 
the 4141, which I, which I've seen people describe us as playing in other games too. I think, I think Paco being the one up top and then Ibora being the one behind and then a four, four person midfield. Um, it does feel to me as though Paco is a better fit in the middle than Tokoe Kambe was. And I think Gerard is happier being outside. I think in the long run, once um, Gerard and Paco play together a little more, we'll see the benefits come. But right now it struck me that, um, yeah, Paco's too isolated and he's still, um, we're trying to sort of play him in. And I just don't feel like there's the connection there yet. It's weird. He's almost he's isolated in the four four two, which is where you think he wouldn't be isolated. Um, in the four four three, he's he's more the centre attacker, and we've seen that when we've changed that formation, he's suddenly got more involved in the game. He's suddenly appeared on the scene. It could be argued as well that Gerrard's like that as well. In the four four two, it's just really restrictive. I'm not really sure why. I think it's just because we end up doing the crosses all the time, and uh, as we point out quite a few times, we're not a crossing team anymore. Like we haven't got anyone that can really put a good ball in. I mean, Santi can, but I mean, even in his defence, I don't think Santi's crossing is the same kind of crossing that that the you know that formation warrants really. Um, in the four three three, and I know I'm, I'm big on the four three three on this, but I've just seen how much difference it's made. I don't think Gerard's very good in the four three three. I don't think Gerard should be playing in the middle. I, I agree completely. I think Paco is better in the centre. Mm-hmm. Um, Moyes very very impressive. I think Moyes he's Moyes incredibly versatile this season. Again, I've always been slightly critical of him because he's inconsistent, but he, he's more consistent in the four three three. If that makes sense. Um, he's done really, really well. But when, when it comes to 4-4-2, then you've got Casola on the wing and you've got Moy on the wing. And they're both, like Moy's probably better on the wing than Casola, but either, neither of them are actually wingers. Whereas when you go into the 4-3-3, you've got Paco sprinting down, sprinting through the middle. Casola and Trigueros can play those through balls. I mean, the goals that Paco have scored have been him in the central and in the 4-3-3. I mean, I, I think that's the case anyway. Um, but yeah, what, what do you two think is, well, what do you two think is the ideal formation for us? I, I think, and, and, and mine's, I guess mine's a little controversial because I actually think that the narrow 442 that Kaleha used his first time in charge would work a whole lot better with this current format than the, uh, with this current roster than it did the first time. Um, cause like you said, Cazorla is not a wide player. He doesn't have that kind of pace. He doesn't need to be running that much. Um, now I think if we run a narrow 4-4-2, we have to bench Mario, but I think you, you ought to bench him anyway. If we got the right fullbacks out there, I think if we get, we let our fullbacks provide the width, uh, run kind of a three-man midfield with Ibora, Zambo, and Trigueros, um, let, uh, Cazorla kind of play a free 10 role, and then put Paco and Gerard up top. I think you get an offense that works through the middle, that creates plenty of pressure, that has ball carrying, and as long as we don't get fried on the outsides, then we're gonna be fine. Mm, sounds slightly like a almost a Barcelona, almost a Barcelona way at one point. Isn't that isn't that isn't that what they kind of used to do? They used to have the kind of three up top. Um, but yeah, it sounds sounds good. I'm just I'm trying to visualize it. <laughs> you know, it's it's so it's like it, you'd have your you'd have your four in the back, and then you have three 
more or less central midfielders. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, and then your front three is, is kind of a, is, is kind of, they're all, they're all narrow. They're all central. So yeah. you got, you got two strikers and then the Saint Exorla who's kind of just floating in behind them, finding space and breaking lines and doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it sounds more like a 4-3-1-2, doesn't it? Because you, because you don't have, yeah. In our traditional 4-4-2, which we had, you know, you always had the double pivot of, of, um, Senna and somebody or Bruno and, or, and somebody. And then you had those two, um, well, ostensibly wingers, but they weren't. They were, they were players like Santi or Connie that would sort of pinch in from the outside. And, yeah. It, it's yeah. either. It's either a four, it's either a, a four four two with a narrow diamond, or it's a, a four three one two. I mean, however you however you prefer define it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it seems as though that that's an interesting that's an interesting idea, and that puts that puts Paco and Gerard um, as the two up top, and it, it it gives us a little more ability to work to work in the box that way. I think. Maybe. My slight issue with that though is that you also, you restrict Manu in a sense because Manu's actually, for me, he's been the better playmaker than Santi this season. And I know that's strange to say considering Santi's been basically the man of the match thing, but I think Manu's been absolutely incredible in that role. Like he, he set up so mm-hmm. many of the goals, if I remember rightly, whereas Santi also has. It, it's like, I think we need to really utilize Trigueros's form and his playmaker because Obviously, having him three in the midfield is, is great, but I think then, yeah, for me, it slightly restricts Manu, and I think Manu has been impressed. Like when he was suddenly became onto form, he he set the set the valley alight, and I know I love that expression quite a lot. Whereas in four three three, yeah. you can kind of utilize Trigueros and Cazola. But I, I see what I mean. I, I like that idea of formation. It's probably definitely more secure. It's more direct as well, so we're not putting pointless crosses into the box. And like I said, we can utilize the fullbacks, providing Mario isn't there. I mean, maybe Mario might, might improve in that role. I don't know, I suppose, because then you'd have the three, three midfielders covering the wingbacks rather than, rather than, uh, Zambo or Ibora, the one player. So it might work. Uh, what about you, Alan? What's your, um, What's, dream formation, shall we say? Uh, my dream formation. I, I, um, am, I still think the fundamental problem that we have is that we have so many midfielders that we would like to get on the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Um I think that's a real I think that's a real um uh question. I was trying to speculate about trying to I guess we did play very briefly at the end of the Levante match we had three um a, a 3-5-2 almost. I guess it was more like a 3-6-1, but um I I kind of feel as though with the 4-3-3 we've sort of made the decision that we are a um team that is we're yes we're going to leave ourselves open and hope we can get the ball back in midfield but I think 4-3-3 seems to work best in terms of our current talent um and current and current available players I I think mostly because I like having Alcacer in the middle and I think Gerard and Moy seem to work very well um from the wings. So I guess I'm more of a 4-3-3 person. 
it's interesting that for years um, the debate on our site has always been about who should play the in the double pivot, and I think Kaye has um, essentially abandoning that, which which in, with this current group of, of players seems fine to me. So I, I'm I'm happy with a four three three. Though I have to say I'm if we can figure out a way to do a three five two, I might be interested in that. But well, um, can, can I can I ask can I just ask a question? Um, so um, take take Moy Gomez and Ontiveros, okay? Um, <laughs> do you think either one of them are a better player than? Kazora, Kazorla, Trigueros, uh, Zambo, or Ibora? Um, I don't think Ontiveros is nearly as good as any of them. He's an incredible dribbler, um, incredible runner, but I don't think he does very much. Um, Moy is definitely more of a team player, but I wouldn't say he, he, he's better than any of those players. I mean, it depends which position, which, which position, uh, are you suggesting that he would play then in the midfield? Well, well, so, no, well, I'm just, I'm just suggesting like, because when you're, when you run a 4-3-3, you're, to me, you, I feel like you're obligated to play Moy or Antiveros, probably Moy, and then sit one of the other four. But mm-hmm. my suggestion is, why don't we just find a way to get our best 11 players on the field? And doing mm-hmm. that, I think, takes us away from the 4-3-3. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I think though that we. I mean, here's the advantage of the four-three-three: is that the four-three-three lets you get three very creative players on the pitch at the same time. It lets you get Moy, Trigueros, and um, and Santi all out there. And I think the way that all three of them have played, it's 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 almost like they've been three of our best players. So you find the formation to fit them. That that seems to me to be to be the advantage of the four three three. If you if you go to something else, then you're probably going to sit Moy. I would say, although I think Santi's age um, makes me wonder if you know how you might sit him some some games as well. But I think the four three three gives us if we think that our real strength is in is in create is in creativity and and making really good passes. The four three three has the has the players and the spaces on the pitch to do that. I think you could also, I suppose, utilize Ontiveros and Samu then if they come on in in that role because obviously you switch. Normally, what happens is Gerard goes in the centre, Paco comes off, Samu comes on the right. Ontiveros realistically will go over to where Moy is, but he hasn't really done that so much. And then you're suddenly like, if we're losing the game, putting those two in that formation really really works. It's suddenly really attacking. Um, you could play, I mean, if, if, I, I think if you, so the list, Trigueros, Sangisa, Santi, um, and, uh, Moy, I would probably drop, it, it's quite tricky. I probably, I agree, I'd probably drop Moy, but then you would have to put, if it was sticking with 433, you'd probably put Santi where Moy was. Um, how good he would be in that role again, because it's slightly more on the wing than central, and that's Santi's role. Um, It'd be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I've seen all these rumours again, and I hate the British press when they do this. It's like, oh, Santi might be going to Arsenal because he 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 said, oh, I want to I want to have a 
final fling at Arsenal. And it's just ridiculous. All he's saying is, oh, I really liked Arsenal, but it's been changing the whole press. Like, oh, Santi Gazzola is coming back. Um, I can't see Santi really retiring or leaving anytime soon. I mean, he's getting into the Europe squad, probably, um, and he's still a great player. So I think it's difficult to say who would be ever taken out of those four players, really. I mean, it's more likely that Zambu obviously leave us in the summer, and I, I can't really see us paying £25 million for Anguissa. Um, he's a quality player, but at the end of it all, we've got Ebora. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so went off on a tangent again there. He and Ebora are nothing alike, though. I mean, right. to me, to me, Ebora is a... Uh, is a six and, and, and Guise is a ball carrying eight. And part of the reason why I like having him out there is because uh, one thing, I mean, Gomez, Trigueros, and Gazorla all give us nice passing, but none of them are great ball carriers. And so uh, to me, if we recover the ball in midfield and get it to Zambo, he can carry it up to one of the other he can carry that water bucket, so to speak, up to one of the creators who can then put the final ball in. But you mm-hmm. lose that aspect of the team if you take if you just do away with Inguisa entirely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a good point. And I and the article I sent you, the analysis of the Levante match, also I think made the point that um, Ibora was more, he he was. It's interesting because he's been a box-to-box midfielder is how he sort of viewed him as. But in the Levante match, he was essentially sitting back um, as the, you know, the author claimed the one in the 4-1-4-1. And so he was really playing a very defensive sort of role. And it worked much better in the second half because of exactly what you say, that Anguissa was going forward with the ball more. Um, I think the other thing that, that... helped in that game having Anguisa in there was that Ibora is is obviously tall and and good in the air and that just wasn't coming into play that much in this game but Anguisa I I um I think he does give us something different I I agree with that um I want to take a brief break and then let's come back and let's let's talk about the question of Anguisa and the and the summer signing because I'm I think most of us are probably, it does seem like a lot of money. Um, is it something that we want to do? So we'll be right back after this brief break. Okay. So, Robin, you said you can't see us spending $25 million on Angesa, and I suppose, I mean, he would be our record signing, right, Which, if, if we did that? Which does yeah. seem like- it does seem like interesting to see. I mean, we, maybe we could possibly go on loan another season. I suppose it depends if Fulham do get promoted again, if they would utilise him again. He wasn't particularly effective for Fulham in that Premier League thing, but he certainly found form in us. And I think I think we would really miss him. He's definitely what well, I think his his biggest attraction, well for me anyway, is that he could replace any one of those midfielders, and you wouldn't there wouldn't be a massive impact in the game. I think I said this on the, on the Levante article. If he came on, like he could basically play that holding role in Ibora if Bora came off. Trigueros and Santi, like you said, he's a ball carrier. He's a pretty good playmaker. He's pretty driven when he runs forward. So I think in terms of, and that was kind of what we were really missing. So um, if we did sign him, I would hope we could sign him in a full time 
basis. I mean, we like you said, Santi's not the youngest player. Ibora's not that young either. So if Anguissa could be seen as the future, then possibly we sign it. I mean, I think we've always wanted a similar player to that, haven't we? We've always wanted someone that was a ball carrier that could drive forward from the centre defensive midfielder, not the typical centre defensive midfielder. Ibora, mm-hmm. the moment we signed... When Bora's first few games, I was always slightly confused as to where he was playing and what kind of player he was, because he wasn't a defensive midfielder. I think we designed him in hoping he was that. Um, in terms of sort of a playmaker, he's certainly not a playmaker. Uh, the box-to-box, I'm assuming that kind of means like just playing it over the top quite a lot or long balls to the wings and that sort of stuff. I think Trigueros does that quite well now. Um, so, yeah, sorry, I'm going on a tangent again, but I, I like to think that we sign him because I think he's been quality for us. I think he's really good. And I think we miss him off the pitch, like you said. It's just it's difficult to sort of structure that midfield into knowing where to play him. And also that, you know, if we aren't going to be able to sign him, then should Ibora probably should be starting because Ibora is obviously our player, whereas Anguissa isn't really. So um, I hope we do, but I can't see us doing it myself. Um. So right now, um, Fulham is three three points out of an automatic promotion spot. Um, I know you guys probably know that, but just for the folks listening that might not, um, and if they get back up, uh, I would imagine that they're going to want Inguisa back. It probably makes it a you know really a non discussion because they're they're probably not going to want to sell them. Um, if we're going to spend 25 million on him, he has to be an everyday starter. I mean, if he's going to be that club record signing, he has to be an everyday starter. So if you think our, if you, you guys or anybody else thinks that our best formation is something that doesn't include him, then it's, it's not worth making our club record signing. I think it's that simple. I, yeah, that's hard to argue with that logic. Yeah, I agree on that. Um, I think, I think that it's, I, I am intrigued by the idea you mentioned, um, that, you know, what if Fulham don't go up and do we, I would, I would think that that would give us a little more leverage because as I understand it, we have an, we have a 25 million option, right? So I think if we're probably, typically what happens in situations like this for, um, if you've been following Villarreal for very long, because this happened with Victor Ruiz, where we had a an option to buy him from Valencia. It wasn't anywhere near $25 million, but we sort of hemmed and hawed and, and managed to get the price down a bit and, and signed him eventually. I think it really depends on how much how much negotiating power we have with with Fulham, because if, if they go up, I'm... I'm thinking between the fact that Angisa is probably going to be thinking I'm going to play in the Premier League now, um, and the fact that we're 25 million seems a lot. I think I think he goes. If Fulham don't go up, then maybe we try to work out a deal where we have him on loan for another season, and maybe um, you know try to try to to do that. I I don't know. It does seem like a lot of money. Um, for somebody who is not necessarily a regular starter, I feel like for us, 25 million is more. That's somebody you want to build a team around. 
No offence to him, but I don't think he's actually worth 25 million. I think Fulham might have overpaid for him. Um, mm. He certainly probably proved that price tag to us this season, but for Fulham standards, I don't you know. He didn't exactly keep him up. Fulham basically last season went on a bit of a massive spending spree um, and didn't really utilise any of the players that well. Um, mm-hmm. I, what do you think? You two think that we'd actually would. Do you think the club will want to sign him, regardless of the price? Do you think we would want him back? I think um, they'd want him back, but not for twenty-five million. Yeah, yeah. I think that's my that's my feeling. Is I I think we would want him back, but I but I think we would try to negotiate the price down quite a bit. And I don't think full. I think Fulham's only incentive to do that would be if they're spending a second year in the championship. Because how, how does it work? You get the, you get the um, Parachute payment that first year, or is it, or does it keep up for a while? I can't remember. You get another parachute payment that second year, but it's not as much money. It's not as much money. So there might be some incentive for Fulham if, if they're still in the championship in the coming year to say, oh, okay, well, you know, we'll take our, we'll take our hit on this guy because, you know, that, that might work. I, 20, I, I kind of agree with you, Robin. I think he's, I think he's a very good player. Is he worth 25 million? Probably not. Is he worth 25 million to us? To, to Villarreal? Probably not. Um, having said that, I'd love to have him for another year. No, and I think that if he, even if he doesn't come back, I, I think you still almost have to sign another midfielder next year. I mean, part of this is, part of this is planning out your whole window because You've got Ibora who's 32. You've got Santi who's 36. You got Albiol who's 34, four, something like that. And, and, and at, so at some point, Mario's getting ready to turn 30. So you've got aging aspects of the squad, and you need to have a plan over the next three years to replace these guys. And with two of those guys in the midfield, I think especially if Inguiza doesn't come back, you've got to sign another midfielder anyway. So how much are you going to spend on that midfielder, and is he going to be as good a player as Nguisa is? Well, don't forget we've got. I mean, here here's the here's the flip side of that. Don't forget we've got uh, Manu Morlanes, who's a Spanish youth international and and has had some first team appearances. He's, he's had some injuries too, but I think we have. Um, I think. He's definitely a guy that we probably see developing um, within our system to play in midfield. I think also, um, oh, what's his name, um, that plays for the B team, that's uh, our another up-and-coming star, um, um, Ivan Martin, is it, Pacheco? Yeah. He's, he's um, yeah, I think we've got players... I think what we'd like to do is basically, um, as much as we can, develop those players in-house. Um, well, but we don't have a physical player like Ang- Anguissa, certainly. Right. And, and um, Marlanis is 21 and uh, Pacheco is 18, and neither one of them have ever played top-flight football before. So... You're talking about for next season, even if you think that those guys, by the time they're in Guise's age, by the time they're 24, if you think they're going to be La Liga quality starters, that's great. But, but for next, next season, year. <laughs> right, 
for next year, you figure out you'll have a 33-year-old and a 37-year-old as two of your key pieces in midfield. Mm-hmm. And you know you're going to have to, and we know we need to sign a center back. Yeah. Yeah. Almost definitely. I can't see Funes Mori probably staying another season. He hasn't been too bad, but some of the goals have just been absolutely ridiculous that have just gone in, really. Um, we've got Paul Torres back next, um, next, uh, hopefully against Atletico. Um, but yeah, we, we've got serious issues there because obviously Paul Torres might leave as well. I, I, I hope he doesn't, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think we need to sign a centre back. A left back and probably another midfielder if we lose Angisa really. Um, I like to see the youth players. I like to see Morenes and Martin, but again, I think that defensive midfielder role or midfielder role needs experience as well. Uh, I mean, arguably you could probably play, play Moy there as well. If, if, you know, if Moy, if we sign another left winger, uh, Moy could probably come back into that midfield and become sort of, Santi, I mean, he was always geared up as kind of Santi's replacement when he was growing, growing up, and he is mm-hmm. a Spanish national as well, so that'd be an interesting idea. Um, yeah. Uh, Robin, the more I think about this, I don't think you're going to get the left back you want so bad this summer. No, I think. no. I've been begging, I've been begging, but. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've been asking for a center back for five years, so. <laughs> I, I was getting to the point where I'd just gone off myself. I play left back quite a bit, and I'm sure I could attack it quite well. Um, but yeah, no one listened to me. I did contact a scout a couple of years ago, but it wasn't about me, it was about another player. <laughs> I, I just, I'm looking at it and with, with the budget that we're likely going to be walking into this thing with, if we, we're going to get, well, like you said, there's like three or four things we need. And if we get like two of them, we might be good. And we, we should consider ourselves fortunate. And I think left back, they're going to say, Hey, let's give Moreno one more year to see if he's going to be healthy. And of course he's not going to be, but they're going to wait one more year to confirm that. Mm-hmm. We might have Costa back as well. I mean, he might have buried the hatchet with, um, Kayeka and come back. I think he's got a similar issue. It's, it's quite interesting because when we were talking about Mario, I was thinking about this, that obviously Mario has been pushed and pushed to go forward. I imagine that was why Kayeka got frustrated with Costa because he wanted the same thing from Costa and Costa again wasn't very much of a crosser. He was a great battler, really good left back, but mm-hmm. these players are traditionally right back and left backs. So the traditional role is to stay back. It's not to attack on the wing. So I, what I hope is that they bury the hatchet and Costa comes back. I mean, there's also good, we could get Marin back. He was quality. Pedrasa as well, I suppose. Although I saw an article today where Pedrasa was basically slagging off Villarreal and I can't see him coming back. No, um, I, don't think it, I don't think so. But, but Betis don't want him apparently. So, oh. so yeah, yeah, I, I think, um, well, and we also have, I think that I'm right that, um, that Kintia and, um, uh, uh, Miguel, I, I, according to transfer mark, they, they're, um, contracts both expire this summer, so if we're going to try to keep them around, we should be, you know, negotiating to do that. I, I just don't see left back as being something we're going to spend money on. No, I think, I think we probably, we probably are in a way. I mean, we do have midfield. We we have excess midfielders. When you look at, at players like Ontiveros and, and Chukweze, we don't have an excess of, of Anguisas. So, you know, it could be that, 
I mean, if Samu does make that move that, that periodically is, is talked about, then, you know, that would give us a bunch of money that maybe we then spend that on a couple of, a couple of those positions that we talked about. I, this is a slightly extreme idea, but how about we play Angisa at left back? <laughs> he's a defensive <laughs> midfielder, but he can cover left back and he, do, he doesn't mind sprinting forward. Uh, he's probably shocking at crossing the ball, but, um, <laughs> that'd be an interesting I don't think idea. I don't think he's very good at crossing the ball. Well, right now he still has, he still has that, um, period where at least once a, a match he will, you, you almost see him hyperventilate as he realizes how far forward in the pitch he is. Yeah. Yes, hilarious, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> I love it too. It's like, oh my, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Good big guy, good big guy, and then he like gets to the edge of the box, and he's like, "Holy cow, that's the 18 yard box!" And he like stops and looks around, and nobody kept up with him, and oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> I still find it hilarious. Do you remember when we Ebora was playing up front at one point? Yeah, it was just crazy. It was one game. I think it might have been under Garcia. And he was just playing up front. He was like, what the hell is Ebora doing? Up front? I know, that's slightly and different in Gita, but Ebora, he's never had a shot on goal, has he? Or one that's actually uh, hit the well, target. Maybe header off a, off a corner, but he's not, yeah. I don't think he's anything else. I mean, Gita actually had a chance to score the So. Um, I'll be honest. Kinsey Ha is actually a pretty good left back. He might actually end up being a, a, a league quality starter for several years. He's only 22. Yeah, he's not bad. I think, I think he struggles physically. That's my problem with him. Yeah, I'm getting some feedback from somebody here. I don't know what that is. Um, did somebody move? <laughs> um, yeah, and he's... He's he's been okay, but you're right. He, he's defensively. He, I think that where he's been weakest is sort of the one-on-one challenges where he gets muscle off the ball. Yeah, that's my general opinion. Um, I, I love him. He's great, and he he's got a heck of a cross on him. Some of the crosses he puts in are probably yes. better than Moreno and yes. other players. But yeah, physically, that's why I struggle with him. That's why I'm slightly confused when we talk about Mario because I think Mario's. The opposite. I think Mario's incredibly physical defensively wise. Um, and then obviously we, we agree that's the crossing. <laughs> oh, Mario's just so useless going forward. And I, I, I guess it's a product of my age, but I can't stand a fullback that's useless in attack. It just drives me nuts. <laughs> well, you know, he, he, it's a, Mario's an interesting story because he's a guy that, I mean, he was basically uh Marcelino pretty much discovered him I think because I mean he was obviously on our first team in the Segunda but when Marcelino took over he really started started using Mario more and for a while I mean he 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 was he was somewhat better going forward than he is now he's he's never been a good crosser of the ball but he was occasionally able to get himself in positions where he could um, pass to somebody that wasn't a cross. Um, the problem that I have had with him, and I admit I'm, uh, I am still affected by his last second gaffe against Barcelona last year, is I just think when he gets put in one-on-one positions, he tends to panic and do the, clear the ball out for an unnecessary corner or an unnecessary throw or whatever. I don't for whatever reason, I don't feel like he has as much confidence in himself as he used to. And 
as you say, he's only 30. So it's not that he's, um, it's not that he's, he's particularly, um, elderly for the position. I just, I just feel as though speed was never his strength. And now he's maybe a little more worried about players getting behind him. I don't know. I think he's slightly, slightly confused. Um, I think he's, he doesn't understand quite the attacking role of it and sprinting up and down. Like I said, Marcelino got the best out of him. And I think if I remember rightly, Marcelino kind of just, it was his fitness that was a thing. He, he made, under Marcelino, he became so much more fitter. He, he was just faster. He's more, I don't know, he was so different under Marcelino. And I think we've had several managers since where he just hasn't really known you know, they sort of regressed and gone backwards. I mean, I remember being at VRL and that was the season I was there and that was the season he was doing incredibly well. And when he shot on, he started shooting on goal more, which was quite interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, the whole stadium was laughing because it was like, what the hell is, is Gasper shooting? I mean, you know that we were having a bad game if Gasper was shooting on goal and he did it a few times. So, I mean, <laughs> it's just interesting, but I think he, his lack of confidence probably comes down to the fact that he feels like he's not as fit as he was and he certainly lost a lot of the pace. So, mm-hmm. and that confidence is, is gone from his eyes, really. I mean, I remember that season where he was really good and he got called up to the Spanish squad and he scored against England and it was an incredible goal. And I was still laughing. I was upset about it, but I was laughing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. 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 I, I just, you know, somebody, Somebody mentioned the idea that maybe what we should, what we could do would be to sort of move as, move him inside as a, as a, a third or fourth center back because then he wouldn't have to be, then, then his strength would be more useful. He's not terribly tall, of course, but at least, at least his strength and, and positioning would be, would be things he could use and he wouldn't have to be counted on to go up and down the pitch. And he certainly wouldn't have to cross the ball. And he wouldn't be Ramiro Funes More, which would be a massive plus. True. <laughs> He'd do a lot better. <laughs> yeah, Ramiro, I, I have to say, is um is quite a character. I you know, he he's a hard one to rate because he has some very he has had some very good games for us, but you, you just don't know when something bizarre is going to happen. Mm. And I I think we have to have I think we have to have center backs we're going to have more confidence in. So, so, and, and this is going to sound like a bizarre comparison to, to make as a criticism of someone, but it's like a, it's like a dime store Sergio Ramos. Like Sergio Ramos is excellent for wide periods of time. And then all of a sudden it's like his brain snaps. And he does something incredibly stupid and gets sent off. Mm-hmm. And like, Ramirez the exact same way, just without the excellence. He's like, he's like serviceable and average most of the time. And then he does something incredibly stupid. And when you're only average to start with, it doesn't make up for the, the incredible stupidity. Yeah. I think that's, a, I think that's a pretty, um, that's a pretty good, good way of looking at it because yeah, I mean, he's certainly not, that's, I can't argue with that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that's probably the best comparison of of him I've ever heard. Actually, I think that's probably yeah. spot on. Um, yeah. I mean, it, for me, he's a definition of a not to offend Argentinians, but he's a definition of an Argentinian defender, just a defender that's got an attacking brain uh, and tends to just goes off 
forward a bit or does something daft and thinks like an attacker in defence. It's very, very peculiar. Apart from a few very strong Argentinian centre-backs, they've always had this problem of having really attacking-minded players. It's like attackings in their mentality. They don't mm-hmm. quite understand defence and they sort of switch off a bit. Uh, also, his hair does annoy me. Um, just putting that in there. I think I've said that in every single podcast we've done, um, but he still looks like Peter Andre. Um, <laughs> I can't possibly be bothered by how a soccer player does his hair. I just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I grew up with da- I grew up with David Beckham and David James and some very embarrassing hairstyles. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it's all something that we notice. <laughs> can you ball or can't you? And that that to me is is all it is to it. <laughs> okay, well, try telling that to Antiveros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try telling that try telling that to Antiveros. That's right. It's it's interesting, as you say. I mean, I think that the criticisms of Ramos. Um, are similar that sometimes he just gets that attacking idea in his mind. That's why he loves to play up front when Madrid need a goal really, right? And that's sort of the same kind of thing. Um yeah, I mean I think that's I think that is a good comparison. Uh, we should probably wind up anything any last thoughts anybody has about um about our upcoming game against Atleti or against it or anything else? As bizarre as uh, it sounds, the result they got against Liverpool doesn't change how I feel about that game at all. Like, I still don't think Atletico is very good. I still think it's a place where we can go and get a result. They're not going to be as fired up as they were against Liverpool, and they can't score to save their lives. I, I, I think we should at least get a draw out of this game. Okay. I'm the same. I, I think I... I I've always reluctantly admired Atletico for their style, but yeah, I think they're going to really struggle against us again. We we're probably not perfect to beat them, so it's going to be. I think it's going to be a really interesting game. To be fair, I think it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. They might be they might prove both of us wrong and be really fired up against um, after the Liverpool game. But I I'm the same. I kind of I doubt it. I think we should we should be getting a win against them in our current form anyway. Okay. I I think a win is a little optimistic, but I'm kind of optimistic for a draw anyway. I th- I mean we do play very well against them typically. And yeah, uh, I'm with sixth in the table. So the table. <laughs> we've got something to play for. That's exactly right. No, well, we'll we'll hope um uh, we'll hope you're right. So until next time, this is Alan for Zach and Robin saying end of the Real.